It's good to see you. No matter where you find yourself tonight, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, what RUF to feel um, like a welcoming place to you. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, one of the many campus ministries trying to walk alongside you during your time at Wofford to help you be a Christian at Wofford. And um, more fundamentally, we're people bound by the reality that God loves us. And as we get caught up in uh, God's love and the personal work of Jesus, then we have to love God back in return in gratitude. We have to love Wofford and we have to love our neighbors. So that's what we're doing. That's why we meet. That's why we sing. That's why we pray. That's why we look at the Bible together. And we're going to look at Psalm 127, which is continuing in this series called Songs for the Road. We are going through a group of psalms. And remember, the psalms are these, this prayer book, Israel's prayer book. It was a hymn book for God's people in the Old Testament, right in the middle of your Bibles. And Psalm 120 to 134, we're camping out there, and they're called the Psalms of Ascent. And God's people in the Old Testament would get together, and they would go on this hiking trip, singing these songs to the temple in Jerusalem that they might worship God together. But they were worshiping on the way. And so the image that I wanted in your minds and in your hearts this semester for the Christian life is the road, the journey, the pilgrimage with Jesus. That's our image. These are our songs. And um, tonight, Psalm 127. So uh, one of the most familiar phrases that I, I've noticed uh, in my four years here, three and a half years, I guess, being at Wofford, um, when you ask someone, how's it going? What, what have you been up to? I think I probably would have thought maybe the most common answer to that question uh, in the South as good Southerners, fine, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Right? And everything is not fine. Everything is not good. But that's just how, like, that's how we respond. I think, um, I don't think this is an exclusively Wofford thing. When we ask someone, how's it going? How are you doing? I think the knee-jerk reaction for us to say is some version of busy. I'm good, but busy. I'm good, but then I want to qualify it. So busy, maybe. Right? And um, Joe Pinsker wrote an article in the Atlantic Monthly in 2007, and his title for this essay is really telling and apt. Here's, here's the title. Quote, I'm so busy, uh, end quote, a status symbol for our time. I'm so busy, uh, a status symbol for our time. It says a lot, and I, here's the deal. I think COVID, uh, the COVID realities and the guidelines, it's made us, it's forced us to slow down. It really has, but American households are as busy as ever, and they're packed full to the brim every night of the week. There's still uh, soccer practices and violin lessons and youth groups and softball games, and all on top of trying to eat a normal meal with your family, maybe at a dining room table, going to bed on time and doing your homework, trying to juggle all these things. And so omnicompetence, omnipresence, over-functioning, overworking busyness is kind of our norm. The hustle and bustle is real, and it's the air that we breathe. And so here's, while I, I think that's true, I just want to ask the question, like, what does that say about our hearts, if that's the norm? What does it say about our hearts that the overworking, over-functioning hustle and bustle is normative? It's not exceptional. It's like how we do it. And it, at the very least, it probably means a lot of things, but it, at, very, at the very least, it means this. We have a very complicated relationship to work. We have a complicated 
an unhealthy relationship to work. And Psalm 127 is all about work. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Because Psalm 127, what it's going to show us is that as we're traveling on this road with Jesus, we are to work. We are to work. But we're to work laboring in the fields of God's kingdom, going with the grain of how he has made us, participating in his work that he is always doing in and through us, extending his kingdom all the way to the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus comes back to restore all things. And somehow we can get caught up in it and tending the garden of creation at Wofford College. That's what we're going to do tonight, okay? I'm going to read the passage, Psalm 127. Please follow along and if you have your Bible and uh, have the text in front of you. This is God's word. He's not spoken to us to give a theology exam to ace. He hasn't spoken to us to give us a book of rules to follow. He's spoken to us because he loves us. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives rest, or he, for he, he gives um, to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb of a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let me pray briefly. Lord, we do give thanks for your word. It's living and active. We know that's true because you're living and active. But our hearts are busy. Our minds are restless. We ask that you would slow us down by your spirit, that we would hear your word and do your word, and that Jesus would be beautiful to us in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, the game plan, I think the, the handout has your, the points for us if you're the note-taking type. First, working with God, or kingdom work. And then second, working alone, or solo work. Work on your own terms. Let's do the first one, working with God. We see a couple things with work um, biblically, and, and the psalm is getting at this. And the first thing is this about work in the kingdom. Work in the kingdom is good. Work in the kingdom is good. Kingdom work with God is an overflow of work in the Garden of Eden. God's original intention for us never consisted of this broken, over-functioning relationship to work and never intended it to be that way. In the biblical story, the way it begins, God creates the world, how? By working, by a work week. God is the creator and sustainer of all things. In his very nature, in his attributes, works. He works. He labors. After God creates the world, he then makes man and woman in his image, Adam and Eve. And then what does he do? He says, y'all need to get to work. Why? Because you're made in my image. And what do I do? I work. So you tend the garden and you name the animals. You extend my love throughout all of creation because I love what I've made. And I want you to love what I've made. And I want you to have agency and creativity in the way that you name these things, in the way that you tend the garden. The original calling for Adam and Eve is what's known as the creational mandate. The creational mandate. Work is fundamental to being made in the image of God. Fundamental. Work is fundamental to being human. And so it is good. When God looked at what he had made, the refrain, it's this poetic refrain in Genesis 1 and 2. 
He made things by speaking it into existence. And then he looks at it and says it's good. And we can infer that as we start naming the animals and tending the garden at Wofford College in Spartanburg, South Carolina, that God says this is good. This is good work. Psalm 127 assumes this biblical theology of work that's rooted in Genesis 1 and 2. Do you see that? Oftentimes, it's so easy for us when we think about a biblical subject to start at Genesis 3 with what's wrong with the world, what's fallen with humanity. But we skip over Genesis 1 and 2, which has so much goodness to it. Okay? So much goodness. And that includes our work. And so now, the work of the garden extends to classrooms and kitchens, libraries, and operating rooms. You're calling is a college student. That is the season, that's the vocation that God has called you to during these four years. And as a student here, you're studying and you're working and you're playing and you're relating to your neighbors and people who walk around these halls and in Millican and in the library is holy ground. It's good work. Chariots of Fire is this famous movie about a missionary who is also a marathon runner, and he has a missionary family, and I think it's his sister and him. Eric Liddell is his name. They're walking together, and the sister is trying to convince Eric Liddell not to be a missionary because uh, marathon running in like an Olymp- the Olympics is like too secular and like not good enough of like going overseas and doing all the mission work. And Eric Liddell responds to his sister with such humility, but very pointedly says this, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. So work, as we're made in God's image, as we use the gifting that God has given us, you're stewarding your gifts to the glory of God, the extension of his kingdom. You're spreading Eden out. And that's what we're always supposed to do. So kingdom work is good. Kingdom work also participates in God's work. Kingdom work participates in God's work. He's already at work. He is always at work. Uh, I think it's Psalm 103 says that God never is asleep. He who keeps Israel never slumbers nor sleeps. He's always on. He never clocks out. And so we participate in that work because God's work is primary. One of my friends, Jordan, who is our, actually our retreat speaker at Camp Merrimack for our retreat last year, he loves to say this about this. When it comes to the biblical story, God is the subject of the verb. God is the subject of the verb. He works. He is driving. He is primary. We follow him. And this is what we see in verses 1 and 3, if you'll see here. The Lord builds the house. The Lord protects the city. The Lord gives rest and sleep. The Lord gives children to families. The Lord is doing all this stuff that people can't do on their own because he never turns off and he alone is God, creator and sustainer of all things. So working in the kingdom involves working in such a way that just enters in to God's work that he's already doing. We're not trying to like micromanage him or to create stuff for our own purposes. We just... We're alert by his spirit, and we enter in with the grain of his spirit, extending the garden out. That's what we do. We enter in to his work and participate in it. Jesus put it this way in John 15. I love this passage. 
when he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You abide in me, you bear much fruit. He's saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. I want your fruit bearing to be connected to me because the only way that you can spread out the fruit of my spirit in the world is if you're connected to me. It's the fruit of my spirit. And I'm so committed to you and the work in the world, and I want you to play a part of it and use your voice with your talents, your gifts. God is the subject of the verb. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He's behind it all. Those who labor and try to build the house on their own do so in vain. One of my mentors um, says that all Christian work and vocation has three essential features. Three essential features in Christian work, kingdom work. First thing is this. This is beyond me. This is beyond me. The job, the calling, okay? B, this is not about me. It's beyond me. I can't do it on my own. It's not about me. It's always directed to God and neighbor. And then three, C, but somehow it includes me. Somehow it includes me. It's beyond me. It's not about me, but somehow I'm involved. All of those things are true at the same time. The Bible and Christian theology loves tension, and we always try to eliminate it. Those three things are true at the same time. In Christian vocation, in the Christian life, anything that God calls us to, it's beyond me. We need his help. It's not grunt work, autonomy stuff, self-reliant stuff. That's not it. It's beyond me. I need God's help. It's not about me. And then somehow it's an, I'm involved. So I got to like kind of get to work and use my gifts and do stewardship. So friendship, parenthood, and service in the world, and studying and being good roommates can apply those three things to any of those, th- any of those callings that you have. So kingdom work is good, and then kingdom work participates in God's work. We're not trying to make something happen awkwardly. Let's do the second one, okay? That's kingdom work, working with God. This is working alone. Working alone. You probably know that Genesis 1 and 2 takes this tra- drastic turn in, the, in chapter 3. And the nature and shape and orientation of our work drastically changes. In short, because of sin, when it comes into the picture, we start working alone. Our work becomes severed from God and from neighbor. Look at verse 2, 1 and 2 again. I'm summarizing. You have somebody who works in the city alone, who's building alone, severed from God. You have someone who is um, trying to protect a city alone. They're someone anxiously getting up early in the morning and going to bed um, really late at night, they're overworking. Why? They're not participating. They're trying to do grunt work alone, solo work, work on your own terms. Sin has distorted our relationship to work, and therefore it has nothing to do with God or neighbor anymore. It It really has everything to do with our little gardens and our little kingdoms and the extension of those, whatever those things are. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor do so in vain. And so now what happens, y'all, and you know this. I hope this is putting words to your experience. I know it is to mine. Work is how we take matters into our own hands now and get a sense of control. Work is the way that we secure our own sense of identity. So our work is who we are. We are what we do. Work is the way that we build our own kingdoms and reputations. This is where we find ourselves. But God loves the world. 
and he loves you. Genesis 3 is not the end of the story. We keep going. And Jesus comes into the world, takes on flesh. Guess what the Apostle Paul calls Jesus? He calls him all kinds of things. One of his titles is this, the second Adam. The second Adam. The biblical understanding of work that we did earlier helps us understand that. Why a second Adam? Why does he call that? The first Adam was supposed to steward the world with love through his work, but he failed in Eden. He failed. The second Adam, Jesus, comes to fulfill Adam's original vocational calling in the world. Think about Jesus' first miracle. What was he doing? He turned water into wine at a wedding. It's not like a party trick. This is second Adam coming on the scene. And he's saying, look, what Adam failed to do, I'm restoring this vocational calling that human beings were always intended to do and to fulfill. No one can do it but me. The second Adam is here. Look no further. And so he didn't do it on his own either. He invites people in on this. And so when he encounters the disciples, they're at work. They're fishing. Jesus looks at him and he's like, throw your nets over there. Throw your nets over here. Do it this way. It is not about fishing. Jesus is not trying to say that fishing isn't holy or good or that it's not sacred. He is saying, I'm trying to reorient your vision for what it means to have a holy calling. I want you to fish, but I want you to do it like this, like me. The second Adam is here. This is how Adam was supposed to fish, but he didn't. But I'm going to show you how by my spirit. And so then he leaves. Jesus ascends. And what does he do? He pours out his spirit on a community. And then he says, the garden work ain't done. By my spirit, I want you to keep extending the kingdom out until the new heavens and new earth come. So he's equipping us and you and me to continuing this work, this fishing, gardening, O-R, E-R, kitchen, diaper changing work, right? It's all holy ground now. And by his spirit, he's equipping us. We have a a part to play. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, wants to show us how and when to work in his world. And he's so committed to this. But again, who's driving? He's the subject of the verb. So it's complicated. But he wants to restore every part of our lives. There's this famous quote by Abraham Kuyper, this um, old theologian, that God looks out at every square inch of creation and says, mine. That includes every square inch of your life, and that includes your work. He wants to renew it. He wants to reorder it and restore it. I want to say two things by way of application before we land the plane. The first is this. Actually, three things. Maybe five. Who knows? But the first one is this. Hang with me here, okay? Resist sacred secular dichotomies. Resist sacred secular dichotomies. Here's what I mean. It's very common. Remember Eric Liddell and his sister. Hey, you want to really work in the kingdom? Go to Uganda. Go to Peru. Do kingdom work there. Should we do that? Yes. Does that... That's holy in all kinds of ways, right? We're bearing witness to Jesus in our words, sharing the gospel, and doing kingdom work building things, of course. I'll illustrate it this way. Ivy, my wife, is a physician assistant. A lot of y'all know this. Ivy's calling as a PA is just as holy, just as sacred 
as my job is as a minister of the gospel doing this right now. She did surgery today just as holy, okay? She was loving God and serving your neighbors. She was doing, doing work of the garden today. She did, and so did you. And so setting your alarm to study for a midterm, holy. Did you know that? Holy. Not like that was disciplined of me. It's complicated, right? Listening and learning to you with your roommates and professors and listening to them, making eye contact with your professors and, and treating them like adults that you respect, holy. Treating your roommates with dignity and sacrificing your time to listen to them when they're having panic attacks, holy. Serving in campus union, serving your brothers and sisters in fraternities and in group projects, holy. And, and I'll say this, um, all that stuff I just named, the like alarm clock stuff and serving in mundane ways is just as holy as anything we're going to do in here. Anything we're going to do at large group. If anything, that's the real work that I hope this work of singing and scripture and prayer is equipping you to do that work. Does that make sense? I want to be really clear on it. Let's do the second one. Oh, last thing, a uh, quote from Pam from the office. Get this. Here we go, Hallie. I'm so glad you're here. Um, okay. Y'all listen, this, I'm going to embarrass you. I was looking, I, someone was over here, a girl last week, I thought was Hallie, who's my office buddy. I did the office thing last week and I was like looking over here because I thought that was Hallie and it was not Hallie. She came up to me and I called her Hallie and I was embarrassed. Okay, moving on. Here's what Pam says. Pam, theologian of, uh, of creation. There's a lot of beauty in ordinary things. Isn't that the point? That's the last part of the show. There's a lot of beauty in ordinary things. Isn't that the point? Okay. Second thing is this. I want to invite you gently, but directly, if I can, to evaluate your relationship to your work. I want you all to evaluate your relationship to your work. Because overworking, and I heard that that's a thing at Wofford, I don't know. Overworking and refusing to rest is telling. It says something about us. And I'm with y'all. I'm with y'all. Something is off if that's the norm. If you are overworking, you should ask yourself questions like, what do I expect this GPA to do for my soul? Because I'm giving that much time to it. What do I really want when I repetitively refuse to rest and, and observe any semblance of a Sabbath on Sundays and go to church, but instead treat Sundays as a day to grind? What does that say about us? We've got to get honest about this. Because some of us look at our GPA and our status and our calendars to give us this security and some control. I know you do. You tell me you do. Others of you overwork because you've gotten caught up in the rat race that is the Wofford College grind unknowingly and you didn't really mean to and now you don't know how to get off. Hit the reset button, just like quads, just hit the reset button. Come on, like jump in the water, it's fine. Observe a Sabbath like for, you know, once a month. Just baby steps. Because here's the deal, God worked, God also rested. God also rested. And so while being made in God's image means that you work as God works, 
it also means we rest as God rests. And so when we refuse to rest and we overwork, something is off. We're going against the grain and the fabric of creation and how we're made. We're literally going against the grain. That's why burnout is inevitable. It just is. And it might not be when you're 19, but it might be when you're 32. And it might be when you're 42. Because these habits, because we're becoming all kinds of different people of forming these habits in college, that like, okay, when I graduate from Wofford, then I'll X. We'll see how that works. I doubt that that will work. And so these overworking, overfunctioning habits, this treadmill that we can get on, it's going to carry over. It is. And so pay attention to it now. I say this out of love to y'all, and I say this to myself as one who is struggling with this like as we speak. I don't want to burn out. I don't want you to burn out now or when you're my age. I don't want you to have like moments in your marriage where like the theme that you hear from either spouse, husband and wife, is saying, I wish you were just more present You are here physically, but you're so emotionally distant because you're so drained because you're overworking. I just don't want your spouse to say that to you. We can work on that now. Let's do it now, okay? Let's do the last thing. This is my final thing here. All right, our work is good. It's a terrible savior. Our work is good, and it's a terrible savior. Both of those things are true. There's tension in that statement. Work hard. I want you to work hard. God wants you to work hard. But don't work hard thinking you're going to get security from it. Don't expect your work to be your savior. Don't expect to get consolation and comfort and absolution and forgiveness and rest and security. Because you'll be so disappointed. You have been disappointed. You have. So as Jesus says, abide with me. And as we sang to Jesus, we want him to abide in us. We want Jesus to be our home. Return to him. For the first time, do it every day. Thousands time, return to him. Because what you'll find is a Savior who has everything you need because he did finish the race. He did complete the work. Some of the last words that he said was, it's finished. It's done. And so we work out of that identity. We have everything that we need, and we work out of that confidence. Let me pray for us. Lord, we do give thanks for...